Well, I'm going to speak to you from Exodus chapter 5. The title of this message is called Bricks Without Straw. Bricks Without Straw. Can we have my graphic up here? You can see my man bun there, look. So Bricks Without Straw, because we're going to drop into a, a chapter of the life of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. This chapter really could be called a Bricks Without Straw chapter. And you all have one of those in your life, as you're going to see. We all have a bricks without straw scenario, situation, event in the book of our lives. I'm calling it that. Some of you are in it today, but you don't know what to call it. So today, as you hear me speak, you're going to figure out what this season of your life is called or someone in your life that is not here that you're concerned about. Today, we'll give you language to speak to them about that will help them frame what's going on in their lives because they're just so confused they don't know what to do. So part of the gift of this today to us is this will give you the gift of interpretation of what is going on in some of your lives so that you can reframe it so that you can move forward and get progress. It's a longer reading than I normally do. I don't like long readings. Number one, because the clock's ticking and we don't have time. Number two, sometimes long readings are unnecessary. But this is a part of scripture that you may be unfamiliar with, and it's a long time since you read it. So it'll be worthwhile spending time reading it so that you can be up to date with the whole context here of the narrative. And then I'll make my point from this passage. You all okay? Yeah. Yeah. Exodus 5 verse 1. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Let my people go. We all remember that phrase from the scripture and from all the movies ever made about this. Let my people go, we know is the catchphrase of Moses, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are numerous and you are stopping them from working. The same day Moses gave this order to the slave, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce their quarter. So increase their difficulty, but don't decrease the expectations on them. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quarter of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. 
you keep asking and saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, but you must produce the same quarter of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble. Note that phrase. They realized they were in trouble. How can you not know you're already in trouble when you're a slave? Yeah. <laughs> it's a strange thing to say, isn't it? The people who are in slavery, in bondage, human trafficked, we'd call it today. The people who are in that scenario need some more trouble on top of their trouble to make them realize they're in trouble. If you need more trouble to make you realize you're in trouble, it's because you have made friends with the trouble you're in. You with me? That's what's going on here. Something going on here is very human. It's very real. It's very complicated. And that's why this is worthy of closer attention. This bricks without straw scenario, as I'm calling it, I find fascinating in my observation and fascination about humanity and how we evolve and grow and continue to move. So they realized they were in trouble when they were told, you can't reduce the number of bricks required for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they bumped into Moses and Aaron. And they said, you guys, may the Lord judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh. Uh, no, you were already. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now, something very complicated is going on here that I want us to take time with because it's easy for us to be critical, unfair and unkind to them. It's easy for us to look at these Israelites and think, well, if that was us, we'd be so glad Moses came. We'd be, we'd be leaving on the first bus out of Egypt. I don't think so. Because as I explain this to you, you're going to see that you didn't get on the first bus in your own life. That you are still stuck in trouble that you have become comfortable in. And what you need is a bricks without straw episode in your life. What you are going to need to get movement in your life this year is more trouble to wake you up to realize you're in trouble that you've settled into and the extra trouble reminds you that you shouldn't have stayed there in the first place. Now, freedom is complicated. You know, freedom is frightening to people who have only ever known bondage. You know, the reoffending rate of people that leave prison is huge. People that have been in prison for any length of time, they reoffend deliberately so they can go back in jail. If you've never been in prison, you'll think that's crazy, but you won't think it's crazy if you can relate to being in prison in your mind. If you've ever been in prison in your mind or been in prison emotionally, this is why, this is why people move from one bad relationship to another one. Because the relationship that they hated, they reproduce it again instead of with George. This time it's with Frank. Come on. Then it's with Phil. Then it's with Steve. And they keep moving on with new relationships, thinking that George and Phil and Steve are the problem. But the common denominator isn't George, Phil and Steve. It's you. And so we keep reproducing our dysfunction with new people, thinking the problem was the person we left. And so I don't think we can be unkind to these Israelites thinking, well, they should have just gone. What's the problem? Because we are all stuck sometimes in life, yeah, yeah. In, in, in trouble, mentally, emotionally, relationally, uh, economically, 
That's why Dave's coming to help us with teaching on generosity. We all get stuck in life. And so we can't be unkind to these people. Now, this is more complex because, and I was speaking about this in Australia recently, and in the crowd was a police officer. And a police officer came and said to me, you know, when you talked about reoffending, he said, we just, the other day, just this week, he said, we went to the mall to arrest a woman who had just come out of seven years in jail. She got out that morning from prison, went straight to the mall, robbed a store, sat down on the curbside waiting to be picked up by the cops because she wanted to go back to jail. Because when you are used to someone else telling you what to do every day, there's a safety in routine. When you don't have to be in charge of when you wake up and when you go to bed and when you eat and when you have recreation, when, when there's a system that tells you how to behave, we form a dependency on that. And so freedom is scary to people who feel comfortable in someone else's regime for their life. You understand? And of course, the whole world is struggling with such systems and regimes where, and this happens globally and nationally and tribally and and circumstantially for large groups of people, including, by the way, the church. We also get conditioned to behave in certain ways and we want to move forward and we want to reach more people, but that's going to mean letting go of some stuff that we've made friends with. And so God knew, God knew that, that, that let my people go, which is what Moses came to shout to Pharaoh, God knew that let my people go would never be enough by itself. Because the issue was not, will, will Pharaoh let the people go? The issue was, will the people let go of Pharaoh? The issue today for you, perhaps, is not, is not, will the devil let you go? Will your problems let you go? Will your fear and your anxiety and your dysfunction and your failure and your depression and your regret and your mistakes, not will they let you go? Will you let them go? Because, because when you've been in a certain behavior and mindset and habits of life for so long, um, it's funny how we develop an attachment and when anybody says that, we get angry. But the truth is, those of, those of us that know you well enough know that um, because we've all done it ourselves, we recognize it in each other. When we've settled into a destructive pattern, but at least, it's, at least it's the devil we know rather than the freedom we don't know. Better the containment and the routine and the jail and the bondage and the slavery that we know because, because I have a theory that anything that is established to a third generation takes on a permanence it didn't have in the first two. This is why I think after Jacob, God stopped mentioning names. You know, in the Old Testament, God would introduce himself and then others would speak of him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and then stop mentioning names. Other people came after Jacob, but God didn't continue to say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua. He stopped after three names because I think when a thing gets established to a third generation or Jacob, it takes on a permanence that does not have to be worried about anymore. And so... And so three generations, a thing gets established and takes on a permanence it didn't have in the first two. 430 years, these people have been in slavery. That's 20 generations. So you can imagine how attached they have become. Yeah. 
to slavery. It's a, it's a strange thing to say. It's a strange thing to put into a sentence that people get attached to slavery. But we've all got attached to mental enslavements, to emotional attachments that don't work. So don't think of slavery as something physical that's happening with what humans do to humans. If you think of it inside yourself, we are all in seasons of our life, we all get attached and enslaved to things that are not working in our lives. And, and what happens is what became known um, in the 1970s in an episode, a bank robbery that went wrong in Stockholm, Sweden. And it became known as the Stockholm Syndrome. Because the bank robbery went wrong, and so the bank robbers took hostage the bank staff and some customers that were in there when they went into the bank. And, and the hostage situation and the standoff between them and the cops went on for days. And the people in the bank, when it was all over, the hostages in the bank would not give evidence against the robbers. They would not go to court and give evidence against the robbers, none of them because they grew to appreciate and formed a relationship with the robbers that was more comfortable relationship than they had with the cops that were trying to set them free. Because when you're in a hostage situation, and there's been great movies made about this, by the way, that is fascinating about human psychology, is that sometimes, and this was true in Stockholm, that the people in the bank developed a psychological alliance with their captors because they felt safer inside the bank with them than, than taking a chance with the cops breaking into the bank and firing bullets everywhere that would kill them and kill others. So they felt the cops were really making it worse by threatening to, you know, put in tear gas or coming with guns firing. And so the, the, the hostages looked after them. The, host the hostages were looked after by the kidnappers. The kidnappers sent out for medications that the hostages needed. Or they sent out for food and water so that the hostages were comfortable. In fact, when the guy that led the bank robbery, when it was all over, he got 10 years in jail. One of the hostages, the bank staff hostages, married him. And the relationship that led to marriage began in that hostage situation. This woman began to fall in love with him because he looked after her better than anybody ever had. Over a period of a few days, this woman felt that this guy had an empathy and a connection with her and she with him as he told his story of his life. She understood why he'd turned to crime and had an empathy and a connection to him. This happens all over the world and you laugh and you're like, what? All of us are no different. Some of you have gotten married to your kidnappers in your head. Some of you are married to your emotional hijackers. Some of you have settled down into things, into belief systems and habits and emotional dysfunction that's not working for you. This isn't, I'm not doing any of this today to any of you because we're all here. This is about us all. This is about humanity. It's about people that are out there today. This is about humanity. We, we, we've all defaulted to settling into our own versions of Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, and so the issue for the Israelites that had formed a Stockholm Syndrome attachment to Pharaoh and thought Pharaoh was their friend 
And when Moses comes and says, let my people go, what happens is like the cops trying to come into the bank shooting. What happens is the hostages feel that the cops are making it worse. And the Israelite overseers felt that Moses and Aaron are making it worse. So when Moses said, let my people go, Pharaoh said, you know what? These people are lazy and distracted. I'm going to shut this down in a heartbeat. I'm going to make their life worse and more difficult. And I'm going to say to them, we are not going to provide straw for you anymore. You're going to have to find your own straw, but the expectation of meeting the same targets will not change. So make it more difficult to do your job because the Egyptians collected straw for them that meant that they could keep making bricks. We're not going to do that. So you're going to make your own bricks, same number, same performance targets. That's not going to be changed, but you're going to have to find your own straw. And so they realized that this happened because of what Moses and Aaron said to Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron are in Pharaoh's face. He gets angry and takes it out on them. So they start cursing and arguing and get resentful and angry with Moses and Aaron, who are on their side. That's why this is complicated. Because sometimes, sometimes we think that Pharaoh is our friend and Moses is our enemy. Because we formed an alliance in our minds with our, our mental Pharaohs, our emotional Pharaohs. We form an alliance with them, a dependence with them. We have some kind of comfort there. Strange, I know, to people that are outside of it like Moses was. Moses had been 40 years outside of it all. And the first 40 years, he lived a privileged life when he was in Egypt. He was the prince of Egypt. So he spent all of his life outside of it. So it's easy for him to, you know, to swing in from a burning bush moment and say, let my people go. And then all hell breaks loose at another level. And Moses comes as a liberator. Let my people go. Be free in Jesus' name. You can be free today. God wants you free today. Is the language of liberation. But freedom and liberation are two different things. Liberation is the first act of freedom. But if it stays there... You'll come back next week to be set free. You'll be coming to be set free every week because you, are part, you get stuck at liberation. You get stuck at getting free every week. And it's like three steps forward, two back. And I didn't want to build a church in Bradford where I pastored for 33 years. I didn't want to build a church where I led people to believe we build a church where we lay hands on you and say you are free in Jesus' name. I declare you debt-free in Jesus' name. I declare you, I declare you this or that in Jesus' name. And we, we, we build churches where we lead you to believe that liberation is an event and it's enough. Yeah. But a moment of liberation must be followed by a decision to live free, which requires different thinking and new habits and new relationships, new mindsets, it, 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 it requires new software programming internally. Yes. Just freedom. Yes. Otherwise, you are set free, but you move on and marry George. Yes. And you think, great, I'm free, but you don't realize that you could have stayed with Frank. Because Frank wasn't the problem either. You were the problem. 
and now you get rid of George and go on to Phil because you think that all the problem, not realizing that, that I keep leaving one and getting liberated from one, then I marry or go with another. And by the way, George and Frank and Phil don't need to be partners or boyfriends, girlfriends. George and Frank and Phil are metaphors for jobs, relationships, habits, mindsets, decisions. And we move through this in life thinking, I'll just keep moving. Not realizing that you can't live your life being liberated every week. It must become freedom. When it's not enough that Saddam Hussein is toppled or Colonel Gaddafi's regime is overthrown. Because then as we know, it creates a vacuum into which, into which new tyrants run. And it just rearranges the furniture on the Titanic. It's still going down. The fact that we got rid of the old captain makes us no better off because a new captain arrives who's worse than the last one. That's why we, we had Nelson Mandela that brought such freedom to South Africa. Then President Zuma steps in, who's a criminal and who's corrupt. And we're glad he's now out of government in South Africa because he's put that country back years as his leadership. And so my point is that liberation yeah. is not enough. And, and here's what I want to say to you. Sometimes movement, leaving what we become attached to, leaving where we've settled into, Sometimes it's not liberation you need. Moses is the liberator, but Pharaoh is an agitator. Come on, come on. Some of you have too much liberation and not enough agitation in your life. And the difference between liberation and freedom is not a friend, it's an enemy. Because friends create comfort, but enemies create movement. Friends are the ones that, and that's why we call them friends. Friends are the ones that say, you know what? I love you. I'm praying for you. I believe in you. Don't listen to what they're saying. You know, that bricks without straw stuff. I'm giving a language for it now. But that, you know, I, I noticed that your troubles got worse. Your bosses got worse. Your life's got worse. Your health's got worse. Your finances got worse. You know, I just want you to know, I'm praying with you. It's the devil. It's the devil. Here a devil, there a devil, everywhere a devil, devil. Not everything's the devil. And the proof it's not the devil is this. The Bible says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So if you keep resisting, 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 shabba doing over it, <laughs> rebuking it and praying against it and being set free from it, and it, whatever it is, is still there tomorrow morning and it feels like it's getting worse. Listen, if you've rebuked it and prayed against it and tried to be free from it, and it's not changing, the chances are it's not the devil, it's God. Because you can't get delivered from God. Because God's not scared of you. You can rebuke God all you like and God's like, are we done yet? It's like a little child. You see these th pictures where a little child tries to fight an adult and the adult puts the hand on the kid's head and the kid's like this. While the adult's, you know, just having a conversation, drinking a coffee, Sometimes it's like that with us and God. And, and we're like this, fighting, thinking that our fighting is changing things and giving us movement. And God's like, it's not the devil. It's not Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not holding you. I am holding you. Because God knew that let my people go would not be enough. And, and you know, Pharaoh wasn't the problem. 
Pharaoh was like, was like cat and mouse with God. God played with Pharaoh like a cat plays with a mouse. In fact, the Bible says God had to harden Pharaoh's heart to not let them go because Pharaoh desperately wanted to let them go. Any, elite, any leader worth their salt would let people go if, if, if that leader realized these people are backed by a power I can't even compete with. If, if at the command of Moses, frogs appear, billions of them, frogs appear from nowhere and those frogs are in the royal palace just like they're in the slums. If Moses says, let's turn the water to blood and when Pharaoh turns his bath tap on, it runs blood just like it runs blood in, in poor people's homes, then Pharaoh realizes I am not immune. Whatever's going on here, I have no immunity to because royalty and privilege and money and power gives you immunity from what other people struggle with. So if you have no immunity, if your immunity is gone, then you've got to start thinking, our country's going to, our economy is going to be ruined. Our whole country is going to be ruined because whatever this power is, you'd think on the third plague, wouldn't you? On plague three maximum, you'd be saying, get out of here. Why did it take 10 plagues and the last one was the worst? The last one was the death of every firstborn child in Egypt, including Pharaoh's child. Wow. You wouldn't let it go that far. Of course you wouldn't. And so you realize that Pharaoh is not in charge of his own mind. It says that God hardened his heart. God made Pharaoh stubborn for one reason. God made Pharaoh say no, because if Pharaoh said yes too soon, the people wouldn't be ready. So God's dragging it out for weeks, maybe months this went on for. God's dragging it out. Pharaoh keeps saying no. People keep dealing with all that resistance and they're seeing over these plagues, they're seeing that, that God is more powerful than the gods of Egypt, that God is more powerful than Pharaoh. They needed to become aware of that because hundreds of years, generational, established DNA, physiological, cellular belief that we'll never get out of here. God had to show them that I have rocked up. Now there's a new game in town. Now things are really going to change because Moses is not just saying, let my people go and going home. Moses has come, he's moved into town and now Moses is actually running the show. Moses is in charge of Egypt. And you need to know those of you that think we'll never get out of here because Pharaoh is so in control and has been for generations of Pharaohs before him were in control. Is that God is taking the time to help them see that let my people go was never the problem. The problem's going to be, will my people let go? And this year, I've got to let you know that the issue for you this year, so many of you and people on your minds today that are not here, you've got to realize that, that in order for you to move forward this year, you're going to need your trouble to get worse before it gets better. And that's okay. I don't say that to give you doom and gloom. I say it so you reframe it. That where your troubles got worse recently, I want you to see this is not the time to get family and friends around you praying for you more. This is a time for you to realize, okay, this is ridiculous. And I am so done with this. Whatever this is, this is what God's trying to bring them to. This awareness that we are in trouble. The awareness that we're in trouble because you didn't realize you're already in trouble. You've made a friend of Pharaoh. You go and talk to him and you refer to yourselves as your servants. 
They said to Pharaoh, we your servants, you ain't Pharaoh's servants, but they've become happy, happily become servants of this containment. Some of you are happily serving the Pharaoh in your head. You're happily serving the Pharaoh in your relationships, the Pharaoh in your finances, the Pharaoh in your health. You're happily serving it, the Pharaoh in the culture, the parts of German culture that don't work and don't work for you like we have in our country that are not good for building church. We, 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 we make friends with these pharaohs and if the longer you've been entrapped in that, the more difficult it will be for you to let go. So God has to send you a bricks without straw moment that requires an enemy because enemies agitate you and friends comfort and try to liberate you. And you need both. It's a combinational punch. It's Moses saying, let my people go. And it's Pharaoh saying, I will not let them go. It's God saying, I want you free. And it's your circumstances and your negativity saying, I won't let you go. And somewhere is you in the middle that has to wake up to realize I have formed an alliance here with what's not working. And I've got to get out of here because I can't keep coming month in, month out to God for freedom. Because the issue is not God setting me free. The issue is that I don't really want to be free because I'm scared of that. I'm scared of relationships that are not the ones I know. I'm scared of a job or an opportunity. I'm scared of a way of thinking and believing and behaving. I'm scared to step into that because I'm, I know I'm not doing great in life, but at least I'm in charge of my failure. Some of you are very comfortable in what's not working because at least there's nothing new going to crop up. Some of you are comfortable in the level of debt that you are in because at least you're in control of your debt. At least it can't get any worse. And that's what's happened with these guys. They get into a place where it can't get any worse. And so God knows the issue is not never going to be, could God set you free? Of course He can. But I want you to understand today that, that freedom is never about can God set you free? That's why, and in a moment, we'll give opportunity for people to give your life to Christ. But, but that lifting of a hand or that first time you open your life to God, that's the moment of liberation. But freedom is what comes next. That's why lifting a hand really only means that you have made a decision to step away from your life as you've known it. But everything after that is what counts even more than that early decision because we've parked up around that. Well, I once prayed a prayer, lifted a hand. Well, so what? So did millions of people who are not walking with God today because they thought that everything would just come and happen. And the truth is that, that we, can, we can give you a moment of freedom today, of liberation, but then you have to walk in it. And some of you, some of you, your lives are so contained by this containment you've been in that you form a relationship with that freedom is really tough. And I want you to know that we understand that. I want you to know that God understands that. I want you to know that the gospel understands that. Yeah. That, 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 that the gospel is not just good for a moment of freedom. That the gospel is freedom. That the gospel is a whole new belief system. It's a whole new mindset for life that will keep you free for life. That salvation isn't an event. That salvation is a way of life. That salvation starts with a door, but then you have to walk into that room and those rooms and that house, and that life, and that new country. Beautiful. Salvation is emigration. Yeah, come on. You, are, you are leaving the country you've lived in. Yes. 
And, and what many of us do, it's like being freed from prison after 20 years. And then, and then you get a tent and you sleep on the road outside the prison for the next 20 years. Because, and so you're free. You're not in jail anymore, but you don't want to move too far away from it. So you live close to it. And failed Christianity often is that we get freed. We give our lives to Christ, but then we stay living close to the entrance. We live close to where we started and we stay there and we don't move on. And the whole gospels and the whole of Paul's writings were about, you got to grow up, you got to move on. You got to get off milk and get onto meat. You got to grow and mature and get strong because the, the, there are millions waiting for you to get over yourself. You got to get free from you in order to help someone else. And we, we're not trying to build churches. And this is why I didn't want to build churches that are like Alcoholics Anonymous. We build churches like AA, where we have a codependent relationship, where we're all just hanging on to each other and we sponsor each other so that if you hit the bottle again, you call me, I come in like a superhero and pray with you and remind you not to do it again until you do it next time. And we build churches that are like codependent relationships and we build that with God. And that is, that is staying in liberation. It's getting free every week. And that's why I don't agree with Alcoholics Anonymous when they, you know, you've not had a drink for 20 years, but you still, you still introduce yourself as, you know, I am Paul, I'm an alcoholic. No, you're not. You were 20 years ago. And so the language traps you back into what you were. The language isn't upgraded in keeping with your newfound freedoms. And that never becomes a, an option. And I don't like the psychology of that. I understand the wisdom of that scenario, but it doesn't help us progress in life. It's like saying, and this is what cost them their freedom. The first generation to be free, you know what killed them wasn't Pharaoh. They were free, they got free. They didn't die in the wilderness because of Pharaoh. They didn't die because they were slaves. They died in the wilderness because they still had a slave mentality. A victim mentality. We were better off in Egypt. What? We were better off in Egypt. What in the world? You think, How? what do you mean you're better off in Egypt? You were slaves. But many of us every day say we're better off in Egypt. 